Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Once in a generation, a mind comes along, a mind that understands more than the average person. And now he gives you the chance to ask the burning questions in your mind. It's time for Ask Dudley. All right, well, they uh, let us back for another week. One more week. We made it. You're saying there's a chance. That's right. We made it through the pilot. Uh, Appreciate y'all having listened to the last one. We've got another one for you here, another Ask Dudley. Yeah. So, Dudley, what kind of projects are you... uh, Working on at the at the house or at the farm at the house or? the farm work. Um, well, at the house uh, we have converted our little tomato garden that doesn't get enough sun anymore to a wildflower garden. Okay, so was, was that a painful process or a or like a all right? Let's yank these. Well, out. you know, I don't. My wife calls our yard a freedom yard because you know I'm one of those people that a lot of people wouldn't want to be their neighbor. Yeah, yeah. but it is kind of tucked away. I just let leaves fall on it. Yeah, all the last couple of years, and then I raked all that back and threw one of our little mixes in, sprinkled that, and then I took a few plugs from the nursery, and I've got them every four or five feet. Yeah, and I'm doing that. Uh, and then around work, we've been collecting seeds. So we just started with Chickasaw Plum. There's yep. mulberries dropping. Yep. Uh, don't want to miss out on any of that. Something tells me you enjoy the collection of the Chickasaw Plum seeds more than more it's, than others. Well, you get to you get to eat those yeah. while you're collecting. Deadly and I recorded a video today. I don't know when that's going to go out or if it'll already have been out by the time this one publishes. But out in front, I mean, literally, it's a, what do you think, 20-foot strip, 20-foot by... A foot and a half. It's basically like a little, you call it a... It's like a parking lot island, but it's long. Yeah. So otherwise, you know, that would just be basically asphalt or Bermuda or just something. It would just be nothing. But now it's Yeah, it used to just be a fence in the middle of it, you know, that goes to our backyard and uh, it just got mowed. Yeah. But how many Chickasaw plums did you plant there and how big are they now? Yeah, there's, I think there's 10 or 12. I think this is year five. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, they've been making since, you know, they're, I'm, uh, time goes fast. They're probably seven or eight now. Yeah. They're stuffed. Yeah. Absolutely stuffed with plums. Yeah. And then we just added, added some more. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, if anybody's going to come and stalk and steal my plums, know that big brother's watching that spot. Yeah. We got some cameras. (laughs) (laughs) Lord knows. Thank you, Spartan cameras. No, I don't think Uh, I would do that. But anyway, so, I mean. What other kind of projects do we have going on right now that you're excited um, about? Or? Well, we've got this empty lot over here behind the office uh, yeah. that we just got. The test plot. And uh, we're not doing anything crazy scientific yet, but we're mainly just tilling up these strips and planting all of our biologic blends. We're going to do some throw and mow kind of practice out there. We're getting ready for that. We're going to 
put wildflowers out there. It's going to be a good place to plant stuff where we can collect seed and, and all that. Yeah. And from a convenience standpoint, it, we have a little test spot like right out the back door. Yeah. I mean, being able to see that. And, and it kind of has this cool slope. Yeah, right? so normally we get to test along a slope. Yeah, normally you would do the rows the other way, you yeah. know, paralleling the the contours. But we decided to go downhill, so it goes from a sandy clay loam that's really easy to dig to this really rich uh, clay loam yeah. that's pretty hard to deal with. Yeah, um, but it's pretty cool to be able to get that that cross section. Yeah, so we you know all the different soil types, so we can. Maybe say, oh, we might need to do something over here or give it give advice for amendments, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So. All right. So last week we had some questions and I think we'll have this a lot where people will ask us, people have follow-up questions. Okay. So I there's one follow-up question that I have that I wanted to ask you about. Um, on the Timberland lease question, somebody said that they felt like we pretty much focused just on spring mm-hmm. for turkeys. What could you be doing in the fall? Again, this is more geared towards turkeys than the deer right. lease, but what could you be doing in the fall and winter? Yeah, and and I'll be the first to say when you're asked this question on the fly, you I give an answer and then some, yeah. I go back and listen. I'm like, man, I wish I'd said that. Yeah, so this but, will be, uh, a, I don't know what we're going to call this section, but this will be our amendment section. We'll yeah, I think it's great. Fact check um, ourselves. Or- so obviously you're in a hunting lease, you're, you're going to deer hunt go ahead, you know, in these, the few openings that you do have, uh, I would establish a, a cool season food plot. Uh, you don't have to use every opening, but, but half of it, corners of it, things like that, get some clover going, get, get a good, uh, brassica, cereal grain, clover blend going. They'll have something to munch on in the wintertime and it'll be a little strut zone in the, in the spring. They can get bugs from, yeah. uh, that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and you really can't get into the woods a lot. They're not going to let you burn. So it, you know, you're limited. Um, I'm not really a big feeder, uh, person, but, uh, in States where you can do that, you might could put a couple of feeders out in, in some of these openings to, uh, you know, keep some things around, but I'm, I'm trying to be creative. It's, it's hard to come up with things to do, where your hands are tied so much. So I hope you're listening, timber companies. Let's, let's improve the recreational value um, and do the right thing. Let's help some wildlife and and start, start letting folks do more. So I hope I don't get in trouble for that. I said it. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. There you go. All right. Well, really, I mean, we've got a lot, yeah. questions here. So I'm pretty much just going to just roll, roll, roll through roll these. with it. All right. So, uh, a friend of mine, a fellow named Eric Reinhardt, his daughter, I think this is awesome. His daughter for Christmas and for her birthday is not asking for a bunch of stuff. What she wants is fruit trees. That's so cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so he had a, he had a question for, for, uh, for you. Can I spread fresh sawdust instead of mulch? I can get sawdust for free. Yeah, I mean, folks are going to say that wood can tie up the nitrogen, uh, which it can. Uh, we we have to deal with that at the nursery where we grow in mainly pine bark, but there's wood in there. And so when uh, microorganisms are trying to eat up that wood and break it down, um, 
it's it, this can get confusing, but it you know the wood will tie up the nitrogen, so the nitrogen will go to the wood to help break it down, yeah. Instead of going to your plants, and uh, so as long as you're keeping it on the soil surface, it it will limit that. But you're also going to be fertilizing those trees anyway, so put a little fertilizer in the ground uh, near the fruit trees when you plant so the roots can access it. Yeah. We talked about that, that last week or last episode about putting just a little tablespoon size buried, buried in the ground off to the side Yeah, so that the roots can go and find it. Right. But yeah. any kind of organic matter that's on hand, whether that be leaves or pine straw or uh, go get some of your old grass clippings, uh, bring a rake and, and rake up some stuff from the nearby woods and put it around your trees. Any kind of mulch can help. Uh, plastic sheets of square plastic can, can be used as a mulch. Um, and that'll trap the water trying to come out of the ground. It'll cool the soil surface. Um, is that something that, uh, so could Eric get a sheet of plastic, cut it in a circle, stick it around the base and then cover that with the mulch just for optics? Absolutely. Folks okay. will do that too. Yeah. Okay. So anything that's just basically going to be a vapor barrier, something that's going to capture water, push it back in to keep those roots moist. Right. That's I, yeah. And I'd, I'd probably draw the line at something that's just extremely aromatic, like cedar. Yeah. Um, Is that because there's other chemicals that come out yes, of it? Yes. They're, they're called terpenes. And, you know, it, it's like a, a defense for that. That's, that species is defense. Gotcha. Um, that's why you don't have a lot of insects chewing on it and stuff. Hmm. So. I'd probably stay away from stuff like that. Okay. But. So so to summarize the question, it's fine. You want it on it, on the soil, not in the soil, because you don't want to tie up the nitrogen cycle. Correct. Okay. Um the other the other kind of part two of this question was is there any sort of concern about m- pulling a disease or a bug or a pest? into your land from getting sawdust. This is, I think this is going to come from like a cabinet company. It's coming from a mill. Exactly. Uh, it's untreated wood. That's the other thing. Let's go ahead and throw that out there. This sure. Untreated wood. Yeah. It's not a good idea to travel a long way with wood. You know, like if there's the emerald ash borer that's killing ash forests all over the place. Yeah. Um, another non-native insect that got here. Yeah. But um, so you wouldn't want to get like chips of ash wood from... 300 miles north of you. Yeah. But yeah, if it's on hand and local, go for it. It's, it's way better than not mulching. This question comes from a fellow named Dalton. Okay. He says, longtime listener, first time caller. I hunt in central Arkansas on a working cow-calf operation. We do manage the habitat well and have implemented rotational grazing. Our fields are full of clover, but we have several areas that are underutilized. We have a decent... We have decent nesting and brooding habitat and a lot of clover and grasses and fields. What could we plant? Um, I'm assuming that's grasses, flowers, or trees um, in those underutilized areas. They're mostly old food plots that are grown up. We do have a problem with hogs, so that's mm-hmm. limiting us a little bit. What do you What do you think? Gosh, about- he's he's already saying a bunch of good stuff that they're doing. Um, rotational grazing—that's the new cool thing to do with yeah. cattle, and it can just I mean, it's amazing. Uh, There's a a guy from around here named Alan Williams, and uh, he's all over YouTube. He's really good at that rotational grazing. He's a a consultant. Um, And I I went to a nearby property with him one day, and he was taking a soil probe. So one side of the fence was traditional cattle where they just 
more or less stay in the same area, get fed. Um, he stuck the soil probe and he had to be incredibly forceful with it to get it into the ground. And then he goes to his side of the fence where he's been doing this rotational grazing and it just goes in like butter. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so anyway, the theory behind that is you move your cows around a lot from, uh, a really small area where they poop and pee all over the place and eat everything in sight. You leave them there quickly. Then you move them to a, a bigger area. Um, it all, it, it somewhat simulates bison from back in the day Yeah, and it builds the soil. So that's cool. Fields are full of clover, have several areas that are, we're underutilizing, We've got decent nesting and brooding habitat. Uh, what could you plant in those underutilized areas? Um, those underutilized areas are also good bedding cover, yeah. uh, good brooding cover. So I would say stick some uh, something like Chickasaw plum out. That's what I was Plant some ask. persimmon trees. Yeah. I'm kind of envisioning like this little if there's like a field edge and then there's some trees and I'm imagining like there's this little hook with a low spot where it might stay wet or it might just be like cows just don't get in there. I'm thinking something like, like you were talking about in the video that we recorded today, something like some clumps of those Chickasaw plums. Yeah. Or or if it's a really low spot that uh, holds too much moisture, stick some cypress trees out there. Turkeys love roosting and cypress trees, but most cattle operations are very open. And so if you've got these underutilized areas, um, I'd start planting some trees, uh, get some oaks out there, get some soft mast out there. Um, keep a lot of that open stuff. That's awesome. So you got all this thick early successional stuff everywhere. Um, plant some trees. I like it. Uh, this question comes from Rob Bailey, um, outside of Nashville, longtime listener and friend of the program. Uh, he wants to know about managing underbrush when burning is not an option. This is, uh, from the, the property that I, I've seen it. It's a beautiful place outside of Nashville and it's, but it's very vertical mm-hmm. and a lot of hills, a lot of topography, and it's mostly hardwoods. I mean, 80% plus hardwoods. Um, there is some cows on it here and there. So maybe that's why burning's not an option, but, uh, what would you do there, Dud? Well, um, if it's a lot of hardwoods, he, there's probably a lot of canopy closure anyway, but, um, there may be some areas where there's probably some kind of invasive species creeping in, keeping it really thick. It can handle the lack of sunlight, um, uh, maybe really lots of sugar maple and stuff and, and beaches that are just sitting there waiting for some more sunlight. Um, so if you can't burn, you can always, and, and being that it's so hilly, you may not be able to get a, a skid steer with tracks and a yeah. mulching head. It may be too thick for that, but that, that could be used. So, um, so using a mulcher head, uh, for something like that, would you have to remove the, the, the chip that you get off that? Or is that okay to do? There's different schools on that. Uh, a lot of people say you, you should remove it because it's, tying up nitrogen and it, and it doesn't go away. Um, I tend to like leaving any kind of organic matter and just being patient with it. But, um, another thing you could do is get in there with, uh, what, uh, you know, like the weed eater with the circle saw blade attachment yeah, cutting and out take out a, a bunch of those really small 
hardwood stems, again, things like beeches and sugar maples, some of your more uh, shade-tolerant hardwood species. And I know that's not what he was asking, but um, again, it, it sounds like there's a lot of closed canopy. You might want to take out some undesired trees yeah, I was gonna and, ask about and get thin- some little thickets going in there. Yeah, I was um, going to ask about thinning. Would, is that potentially an option? Yeah, you could go in there and thin it. Would, uh, you, would so, you thin it and remove those trees, or would you just thin it and let those trees fall where they are? Well, if they're non-merchantable trees, you could just leave them where they are. Um, but if it's something that you can get paid for, might uh, as well take them out. Any other burning, non-burning controls? Um, yeah, you can do hack and squirt. You can do basil bark treatment. Um, there's, a, there's a, you know, whether it's uh, mechanical or chemical, you can, you can do either of those or a little bit of everything. I gotcha. Um, undesirable trees, just so we don't get follow-ups. I mean, what are some un, quote unquote undesirable trees that you yeah, might remove? I don't, I don't like calling something a trash tree. Right. Um, that's not my thing. And I mean, I even like, you know, people say sweet gum is the ultimate trash tree. It depends on where you are and, and what species you have around. Um, so undesirable in that neck of the woods, uh, if they're natives, uh, I would say beech could be considered undesirable, even though it's a good tree to have, you don't want just a whole lot of it. And usually you have a lot of beech when you're not burning yeah, because it has such thin bark. Um, so you might want to get rid of some of those. You might want to get rid of a few maples, a few ashes, um, things like that. But really you just want some sunlight on the ground. So, uh, or if you know your oaks really well and know which ones drop a lot and which ones don't, you might could take out some of those individuals that don't drop very heavily. Well, so this next question is, uh, from Stevens Howard. I I think it's kind of related He's talking about what what tree combos could you plant or add that have a you know overstory midstory benefit. So so say you're like uh, you know Rob there and you 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 thinned out some trees. Are there some other trees that you might come back with in place of those less desirable trees, beeches, ashes, those sorts of right. things? Right. Well, um, the site is going to dictate really what wants to be there. Um, and it, you know, again, it, it depends on what kind of disturbances you're doing, if you're running fire through it, if you're not, um, but, uh, and I'm not really sure where Stevens is, but, uh, I'm just thinking you want diversity. Yeah. So you want a little bit of everything, you, you know, you want red and white oaks, you want soft mast, you want hard mast. Can you um, talk about soft mast and hard mast for those who may not? Yeah, no. hard mast is like hickory nuts and acorns. They're hard. Soft mast is usually what we refer to as fruits, okay. persimmons, black cherry, uh, black gum, uh, even things like blackberries and stuff. You could probably consider that soft mast, even though it's not a tree. Gotcha. Plums. Um, so, yeah, tree combos. uh you know, you just want to look around and see what you've got and see what you're lacking. You may be full of red oaks, but you may not have any small acorn red oaks. So it might be good to add some of those. Um, so that's what I would do. Just uh, figure out what you've got, figure out what you need, get rid of some of the things you don't need and 
and plant some things that you do need. Uh, even look at what your neighbors have. Do you do you recommend just going going all out on something like this, or do you recommend kind of like choose like sectioning off your property and testing it? Or yeah, areas? doing it a little bit at a time. Whenever somebody calls me and says, you know, I just got this farm. I've got a really, I've got a big budget. Uh, Even though we're into selling trees, I talk them out of it. I say, why don't you come up with a five-year plan? Yeah. Uh, You even may change your goals in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Or you, you know, if you plant a million trees and you may come back five years later and be like, why did I do this? Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's kind of a broad answer, Stevens. Uh, If you hear this, give me a call sometime and, and we'll get technical on exactly where you are and come up with a plan. Sounds good. Uh, Spearman895 asks, what native plants or grasses to plant under thinned 25-year-old pine trees in South Carolina? I followed up with him and uh, asked about his soil type. He said it's clay loam. Okay. So I don't know if that matters so much for native grasses, but there you go. Yeah. Um, So when you're thinning pines, oftentimes they do what's called like a third row, fourth row, or thin row thinning, where they take out a whole row. Sometimes they do that with selection. So they will take out trees also between those rows that they take out. But oftentimes those rows, you know, those rows are completely cleared. So it's like a long straight road yeah. now. Um, so there's a lot of space probably. But and there's sunlight. Yeah. And considering that pine trees have needles and, you know, it's more of a dappled shade. Uh, oftentimes you can get away with uh, growing more stuff because there's more sunlight hitting the ground. But then in five or six years, the pine trees grow back together and, and then you're lacking in sunlight. So what I would do in a situation like that, um, if you got a tractor and a disc that's small enough to go between the rows and you can try to create a disturbance. Um, oftentimes these thinnings are followed up by aerial uh, spraying or they may come in there with a skitter and spray to get rid of unwanted uh, species that pop up so you've got to be cognizant of that you don't want to go planting a bunch of stuff knowing that they're going to come in and spray behind you but just doing a disturbance you're probably in that area you're going to get a lot of blackberries and uh, you're going to get a lot of native grasses so what you can do is create a disturbance, uh, but you could also plant some some seeds like we've got those flower and four blends and that you know you yeah. could you could supplement your disturbance in our seed plugs. Yes. Um, plugs. And and put some of that in there. Uh ragweed would really be good. That's you know, birds like it, deer like to eat it. Um uh, if you're cre- creating a disturbance and say blackberries come up, are you gonna do like a hundred yards and then a gap and then a hundred yards. I mean, cause I'm thinking that would be obnoxious to have to go every single third row. Well, I, I'm just thinking about like, do you do a hundred yards in a line and then leave like a 20 foot gap so you could walk through or get equipment through or vehicles through if you had to, instead sure. of just like yeah. sectioning it off. Entirely. Absolutely. Um, okay. I've even seen where people have gone in with chemicals, uh, on one row, spray yeah. a broadleaf herbicide to kill broadleafs, and you get a bunch of grasses. Yeah. Then you can go over to another row, spray a, a grass-selective herbicide, and have broadleaves come back. So you've got 
a, a mosaic of different types of early succession. Diversity. Diversity. Yep. Yeah. Um, this one is not on our little cheat sheet here. Ethan Hall asks, if I find a hickory seedling, is it safer for me to leave the plant there where it was happy and seeded, or should I pick it up, put it in a pot so we can get larger and then replant it? Um, I would say just leave it. Leave it. Does, he, it. does he need to clear away anything? Is there anything he can do to make it? Well, you can always put a tree tube around it. Okay. Um, it absolutely needs to be in full sun. Um, otherwise, you're more or less wasting your time. Uh, do some weed control around it. Uh, the thing about hickories or in, anything in that uh, group, uh, pecan, hickory, walnut, uh, they have a very dominant taproot, and they're incredibly difficult to grow in a pot. Right. So you're saying if you if you try to get that out, you may cut that taproot off. You you'll you'll probably damage it more than you'll ever help it. Yeah, it wants to send a taproot to the center of the earth before it starts growing. <laughs> and if you sever that taproot, it's never going to do anything. I gotcha. So that that's, so if you, if you cut, what you're saying is if you cut that taproot, it's not going to just like restart wherever it was. I mean, that that's a serious, it's like a terminal bud on a tree or something, right? Yeah, it, it will in time. I mean, you can yeah. buy pecan seedlings and black walnut seedlings, but they're usually pretty slow to start because they just, they have to have a huge deep tap root. Yeah. Otherwise they just sit there. So I got you. Um, All right. Uh, John Ford asks best tree that you prefer to plant around a dove field looking for shade and food. Okay. That's a really cool question. Um, and I've, I've brainstormed on this a lot in the past. Yeah. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff you could plant. It, it really depends on what site you're on. Uh, you know, a lot of dove fields are, unless you're like in a big delta, they're usually on an upland site. Doves like to follow ridge lines and things. Yeah. They like the poorer soil because there's bare ground on upland sites more often than not. Things like that. Um, but uh, gosh, just a, a mix. Again, back yeah. to the diversity thing. I would want some fast growing stuff. I would want some slow growing stuff, even maybe a few cedars. Um, uh, black gum has horizontal branching. Yeah. So easier to perch on. Uh, ash would grow really fast. Um, I mean, anything really. Doves, yeah. there's really, doves don't really, doves are, I think they're what's called a granivore. So they, really only eat grains. They'll eat a little bit of green stuff, like little pieces of grass and leaves. They don't, they're not really into insects. So if you were planting things that would drop seeds, uh, hackberry drops those little bitty seeds. Uh, black gum drops a little bitty seed. Mulberry. Uh, mulberry. Uh, even having blackberry uh, brambles and stuff around the edge of the field, they might not eat the, the blackberries themselves, but they would drop all those seeds on the bare ground. Yep. Uh, would be a good thought. But what's really cool about this is that you can go back and kill those trees. So if you've got an ash tree that's 40 feet tall, you can hack and squirt it. Doves love landing in dead trees. Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask is, is it better to plant something for a dove field in the future? Or is it better to plan and say, listen, I know I got a water source. There's a road nearby. Here's a dead tree. That's where I'm going to put my field. Yeah. Is it better to maybe 
change where your field is than to try to plant a, a tree that where it might take and then maybe supplement around that with these other tree varieties kind of like you're talking about yeah like start uh, with a dead tree and then go from there yeah you could i mean uh when you're trying to pick a dove field you, you want one that's naturally a good spot anyway uh they've got to have bare ground uh, we like planting sunflowers and like that whistle back that yep uh, with biologic but um yeah, I mean, but plant some fast-growing stuff. Okay. Uh, so in time, you're going to have a really awesome field. Uh, for the time being, uh, it may not have a lot of cover around it, but uh, just get some trees that grow fast in your area, some that grow slow. Yeah. In time, you can start, you know, killing every 10th tree so they'll have something dead to land on. Yeah, that's cool. That's a, I, know, I haven't thought of that. Um, Clay said, or Bobby and Clay were talking the other day about using whistleback on – so say you planted in sunflowers, but coming through and planting rows of whistleback, but also planting some clumps of it on the edges where people can sit. Yeah. And then kind of sit amongst that. I thought that was really clever. It's going to be food, but it's also cover for you on those sure hot, hot days and then going into the later seasons as well. No so doubt. There's, I thought that was pretty creative. Um, all right. Got some fruit tree questions. Okay. Okay. Um, Woodrow asks, what are your thoughts on disease control regimens for fruit trees? Okay. I I do get that question a lot. In fact, I answered an email about an hour ago with a similar question. Um, personally, uh, I'm not really into grafted commercial type trees in a wildlife setting. I might want to have a few around the cabin, um, Oftentimes, uh, you know, they have to be sprayed a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I typically prefer to plant natives that have evolved for eons to not need to be sprayed. Um, but if you are planting like an orchard of grafted apples, um, what you need to do is uh, use two different types, two different modes of action. So, uh, you know, there, there's fungicides out there. Uh, if you were to spray the same fungicide every week, uh, those plants or those, those diseases will, you know, they'll get immune to that one particular mode of action. Hmm. So, uh, some fungicides are almost like a steroid. And if you did that every single week, it, it would eventually quit working as well. So you would hit them with that steroid type fungicide and then hit them with something that targets it in a completely different way. Yeah. So you want to alternate it. Really the best thing to do if you're trying to grow fruit trees, you know, like Granny Smith, Red Delicious Apples, things like that. Uh, contact your local land grant university. Uh, here we're in Mississippi State. Yeah. You know. Um, Dudley's got a state. <laughs> shirt on right now on original bottom land it's looking good auburn clemson you know every state has a land grant university where they do this research they'll be able to tell you what varieties work or what cultivars work better in your area that are more disease free uh, but they'll also be able to recommend what works best on the the different problems that you have in your area okay so uh, uh, another guy uh ramage 174 ask and this this is kind of part that's why i kind of jump in so quickly but talk about spacing you you kind of touched on fertilization and and application of fungicides but talk about spacing of trees right 
fruit trees for the most part don't get as big as say like an oak um but you do not you really don't want them all touching each other either you you want a little bit of air space you want root space uh, where there's not a lot of competition Hmm. um so Typically, you know, like oaks, we usually recommend about a 35-foot spacing on average. Some of your fruit trees that get bigger, like, you know, maybe mulberry or persimmon, we usually go about 25 feet apart. Uh, Little dwarfy apple trees, you can go really close. You may go 10 feet apart. Um, Some of the grafted apple trees that are on a standard root stock that get bigger, you want to put them further apart. So it really depends on the species or the cultivar, um, but you've got to look at, you know, height and width at the at maturity to to figure it out exactly. So Jet Johnson, not okay. the football player Jet Johnson, uh, asks, what is chufa and should you plant it for turkeys? Turkeys absolutely love chufa. Um, chufa is the exact same believe it or not, the exact same genus and species as yellow nutsedge, which is really considered a weed unless you're a duck hunter. You yeah. Know, like sedges. Huh. But, uh, you know, in an agricultural standpoint, it's con- considered a weed, but it has been selected for years and years uh, for that. I don't even know if it's a tuber. Uh, I think you would call that a tuber. I think so. Um it it tastes like almonds. I remember a long time ago, my dad ordered some, and he's like, taste this. Man, they're incredible. But you get a tuber off of a yellow nut sedge, and it's incredibly bitter. Yeah. It's smaller, and you immediately want to spit it out. Okay. But it's the same thing. But that's so, a palatability issue. Yeah. Turkeys love it. Uh, they they prefer well-drained, mm-hmm. sandier-type soils, yeah. like your uh, sandy loams. Like South Carolina. Yeah. We've got some uh, friends in South Georgia. Carolina. Even though chufa. it's that they call it red clay, it's also pretty sandy. Yeah. Um it you know, it needs to be loose. You know, similar to like if you're planting potatoes, you don't you don't want to plant them in a heavy clay. Yeah. Uh, you want more roots and more aeration and looser soil so they can make more tubers. Right. And so that the turkeys can scratch at it. Exactly. And get them up. So, a question that I have and I've heard of some people doing this can you, if you don't necessarily have one of those places, like you're in West Tennessee or, or somewhere where you just don't have that soil type, can you plant it in these places and then maybe run over it with a disc or, uh, you know, a couple of different times during the season? Is that, first of all, is that one legal? And two, is that a, a good management practice? Um, I do believe that, and ask your game warden. I'm, yeah. I'm not a... Okay, yeah. So Caveat, uh, it may differ by state. Right. And then with waterfowl, you know, you're not supposed to disturb anything. Okay. And, and people will use that for waterfowl as well, so keep that in mind. Yeah, but for um, turkeys. But for turkeys, you yeah, you can run a disc through it, and that'll tell them where it is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you can grow it in clay soils. Yellow nutsedge grows in clay soils. It just not... It might not make quite as many tubers, uh, and you probably would have to manually disturb it to help them find it. I have a harebrained idea. Okay. (laughs) Could you bring in like a dump truck load of sand and some other things into an area and mix, mix it well into the soil in, say, a half acre and make a, a well draining chufa patch? Yeah. I mean, you probably could. Yeah. Uh, 
adding sand to the soil, the, the problem is, is you're, you're not going to get it more than six inches deep. So it's just going to run into poor drainage again. Gotcha. So usually when you try to amend a soil to improve uh, aeration, mm-hmm. you want to add organic matter. So if a, if a soil is predominantly sandy, it's, it's usually going to be sandy pretty deep and have good drainage. So if you're wanting to improve a soil, instead of throwing a bunch of sand out, you would want to improve the organic matter content. So could you do something like planting brassicas, something that's going to go in and kind of open up the ground and yep. decay in there, and then and then maybe do that for a year or so and, and aerate that soil and then come back in with chufa? Sure. You know, you could run a subsoiler through it to improve the drainage, something like that. Cool. Uh, a question. Uh, th- this guy's name is either Ganahan or or like something Hanahan. I don't know. You know who you are. Uh, he's got a problem with sweet gums continuing to re-sprout on a 40-acre piece that he's bur- that is on a burn schedule. Okay. He keeps getting them and getting them. Um, and, yeah, G. Hanahan maybe might uh, might already know this, but uh, most folks want to burn in February and early March just because it's cold, it's easy. They feel like it's safer because it's cold outside. Um, but if you're trying to kill, uh, like an early successional species, tree species like sweet gum or, or green ash, something like that, uh, when you burn it in February uh, during the dormant season, all of the energy for that plant is stored down in the roots. So you might top kill it, but it's going to be able to re-sprout very easily. Hmm. If you were to run a fire through it in June, or in, in May, after it is leafed out and it's actively growing quickly, a lot of that energy reserve is in the upper portions of the plants now. And that's, you hit it, you can hit it a lot harder by doing your burns during the growing season. Um, if, if he's doing that and they keep coming back, I don't know what to say and increase your uh, frequency you know, burn it every other year instead of every third year or something like that. Um, and you may have to do some chemical control. Gotcha. If, if it, if it doesn't quit, get but, some, uh, get some, goats. it sounds like it is a bottomland site that wants to be in trees anyway. So you may want to, you may want to switch over to a more upland area. That's not going to be as conducive to having, a high site index site for sweet gum. So consider that as well. Okay. Uh, Wes Spencer asks, what is the best way to deal with multiflora rose? And I ask, what is multiflora rose? Multiflora rose is an evil, non-native invasive, and it is a rose. Uh, It's in the genus Rosa. But I want to say there's actually several non-native species of roses now. Uh, that we consider multiflora rose. Um, so that said, um, I've even seen it around here. It's not quite as bad, but there's places like in Missouri. I think it's in every county in Missouri. Um, and so they've done a lot of research. Missouri has a lot of money to do a lot of research because a, uh, a portion of the state sales tax actually goes back to uh, 
natural resources. That's cool. So I didn't know that. Yeah. So a lot of good publications and things come out of Missouri as well. And they've done a lot of research. Um, you can use Roundup, uh, AKA glyphosate. You can use triclopyr, which is, uh, I refer to it as 2,4-D on steroids. It's a really good broadleaf herbicide, um, that can penetrate thick leaves. Um, and, uh, let's see, dicamba works. Uh, there's a, a chemical called fosamine, fosamine, um, and, you, you can either do like what's called a, a cut stump treatment where you cut it off and then paint the cut portion while it's still like drawing. Right. Yeah. Uh, as soon as you cut it, uh, like you can rig like a sponge on a stick uh, and they even make thing, you know, make something you can probably order in forestry suppliers. Uh, so you, you cut it and then dab it with that um, that seems like a pretty effective way of right like hyper local not broadcasting it right nothing you don't have to worry about drift like you would with something like dicamba yeah. or something and i'm not gonna get into amount you know solutions and, and percentages right. read the label there's foliar applications for it and then there's cut stump applications yeah. at different dilutions um and then look at it google it and Missouri has a wonderful publication about how to get rid of it. Cool. Uh, yeah, let's get the link for that, and we'll put it in the show notes. Okay, Does that sure. Work? Okay. Sure. Um, okay, so something kind of out of the questions um, for now, but let's talk about using Powerline right-of-ways, gas company right-of-ways. Okay. How, how can you uh, – because that's something I've thought about, and I've seen some people – a lot of times what I see is I see – a maybe like a green plot or something and there's deer stands because you can see a long way. Sure. But what are some ways that either you can establish a prairie, establish bedding cover, something like that? Um, and, and and how would you need to go about communicating with either the gas company or the power company for, right. for making sure that they don't either, one, don't want you to do that, or two, aren't going to come through and spray it and kill all your hard work and money? Right. Um, they don't They don't like bad publicity, so, um, they're usually not, they're usually going to be pretty open to your ideas. So for example, at my farm, we have a marathon gas pipeline that goes through it. Um, I believe it's a, it's 60 feet across. So it's a 30 foot radius from the pipe out yeah. that they have to, they have an easement and they have to keep it clear. They don't want little baby trees coming up in it. Yeah. Uh, if they ever had to get in there in emergency, it needs to be short and, and accessible. Um, there's also a phone number. Like, so every hundred yards or so. Like a marker, right? There's a marker. Yeah. And there's a phone number on that. And you can call them. I actually have the guy. He's really friendly. He has a Cajun <laughs> accent on my phone. And I can call him. And That's he calls awesome. me and says the, the mowing crew is probably going to be coming through in August. Just letting you know. Yeah. And, and I can even say, look, uh, we actually were going to spray that and, and they'll avoid it. They're yeah. very friendly. Um, as far as power companies, I don't have as much experience with that. Yeah. But, you know, you can contact somebody at your power company and see see if you can work something out with them. Sure. Um, there used to be a program through the NWTF where they were a liaison of sorts with these power and gas companies um, 
I can't remember what they called it. It it had a like project help maybe or something, but uh, yeah, uh, it's a great, you know, if you have nothing but trees on your place, it's a great way to have some early successional habitat. Uh, and so you can mix it up. Some of the lower places that have good moisture, you might can have a little clover plot, start going up the hill, have some native grasses, have some wildflower yeah. areas. You might even, uh, if you own it, you could probably do some hack and squirt on the edges. I love doing that and create some thicker cover on the edge where deer and things can bed in and come out and eat later. So great source of an opening if, if you have one on your place. Yeah, because I'm just thinking about that. I mean, over, over the course of the, the country, I mean, that's probably millions of acres. Absolutely. That's, that, that, that can be put into prairie or or something that's yeah. better for wildlife. Talk to your friends at your conservation organizations and and see if you uh, we can get some of these programs back in place. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, Dudley, I think we covered a lot of ground today. We did. People seem to enjoy these. Do you have uh, any parting shots, any nuggets of wisdom, anything you want folks to do? Gosh, uh, you know, I'm always going to say get outside. Um, you're not getting any younger. Go outside, be a sponge, learn something. I'm actually going to a ball game. Go dogs. Uh, but uh No comment. Just yeah, we're oh yeah, you're a Rebels fan. Howdy, I like the Rebels too. But yeah, it's it's five o'clock. We're about to head home and go see our families and I'm going to a ball game. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. So, well, send us your questions. Send them to Dudley. Send them to me. Uh, I, I guess we didn't really introduce ourselves. Hey, I'm Rob. Sorry. I'm Dudley. <laughs> so send uh, send your questions in. You can send them to me. Send them to Gamekeepers. Send them to Native Nursery. Uh, we'll try to do like what we did this time and post a, a prompt for questions. We'll try to answer as many of them as we can. If we don't answer your question, don't get your feelings hurt. We'll try to get around to it, or we may have answered it already. So. We need one of those round – one time I said round to it and somebody produced this round thing that oh, it's a round said to it to on it. it. Yeah. yeah, we need to get around to it. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Ask Dudley podcast. Say goodbye, Dudley. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.